This is Monica Thompson, Buck Hunter, World Extraordinaire. You're listening to Up in the Mix. Welcome to another edition of Up of the Mix, coming to you hot from a special undisclosed location. This is Sean, a.k.a. The Truth, a.k.a. The Super Nicest, a.k.a. The Narmist R, a.k.a. Not the Black Dude You Thought I Was. This is Caesar, a.k.a. De La Foto, your favorite neighborhood Mexican, Ernesto, Kevin Kulo, Coach, Mr. Brunch, a local also, that poppy with the dad body, the brown man in the yacht club. How the fuck did he get here? Elomita, the hint of the habitual line crosser, the honey badger, the fucking baby whisperer, and tracksuit poppy. And we are sitting today with a special episode. We are coming to you guys uh, from Pinion Bottle, located in the Midtown District off of Virginia Street on Cheney. On Cheney. And uh, we have the, the uh, this very special guest, the owner uh, and friend of the show, Clint Coble. Is that correct? What? Is that your last name? <laughs> last name's Newberg. Newberg. Where did Cobalt come from? I don't know. Are you, are you are you lost in the sauce already? No, I'm not. That's the thing. That's weird. But welcome to the show regardless, Clint. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, uh, Caesar, how was, how was your week? Actually pretty busy. So I finished uh, Chris Maselli's like, album photos slash song art for his new uh, project coming out. Did that. Working on uh, Jamie and Alex's maternity photos, you know, within the radio show, plus the nine to five and the baby. So nice, uh, hectic work week. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about yours? Mine was super mm-hmm. crazy as well. As I said, uh, Monday I had Hearts and Culture meeting for the city of Reno that went a little long. Tuesday we did the radio show. Wednesday I had training after work. Thursday night uh, was the highlight. I did <laughs> a poetry workshop with my friend Tara from uh, works up at UNR with a bunch of Upward Bound kids. So that was super cool. I was actually nervous about that ahead of time. It's, like, been, it's been a while, probably. Right? Like, it was weird because like I didn't know the kids. It was on Zoom. I didn't know like how they would be reacting, and I'm like teaching them like a, a workshop, like having them write poetry <laughs> and share it, and it was about like activism and and identity and leadership and it was. It turned out great, but like, it's funny that you mentioned being nervous, Clint. I, I was actually nervous for the first time about <laughs> teaching the other night. How uh, old were the kids in the workshop? They were all high schoolers, so I think it was freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. I don't know if we had any seniors in it, but the coolest thing was a, a couple of them were former students, and one of them took the workshop specifically just to see me and say what's up and say hi. So That's it was cool. cool. Yeah, to, to see her, and like, she's doing great, like... I mean, she was an excellent student in seventh grade when I had her, and now that she's you know about to grad, looking to graduate, it was awesome to catch up. But yeah, that was my week, Clint. Yeah. How was how's your week? It was pretty chill. Um, just kind of like just uh, keeping it keeping it going here. Opinion. I mean, it's you know we're we're doing the best we can with the restrictions and everything and trying to keep people safe and, and still trying to keep the business open. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, 
kind of feeling like Groundhog Day. <laughs> every day is the same thing, you know. Yeah, like, definitely. Don't really go anywhere. Don't really, you know, don't really do a whole lot. Yeah, I feel the same way, like working from home. Like, yeah, right. I'm in sweatpants and a white tee all day, Monday, <laughs> yeah. Monday through Friday, unless I run errands at lunch, you know? Yeah. And just like next day, I barely leave the house Monday through Friday, and it just gets like same thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. It's pretty rare that I have a shift at Pinion anymore, so it's like I'm not even down here that much. It's like you're, come the, down, you're the boss. Well, I come down here to like, yeah, clean and, <laughs> and count drawers and stuff like that, like really unglamorous stuff. Like dude. no, yeah, but at least like that's one of the perks about being the job, being the boss. You just like come in, collect the money, collect the funds, you know. Yeah, and then just do a little tidying up, you know, and go back home to you know. The lady. Yeah, go back home and, and do the same thing there. Clean. <laughs> yeah. As as we get older as adulting, cleaning is a lot oh, of man. Well, that's a lot of life. And How, got, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just say I've got two kids, so it's like Yeah, I was gonna ask, how's it been having two kids? Because uh Silver's definitely not in school, right? No, she she'll be four in June. So not having school to send them to or to, <laughs> well, to, so, to entertain them how's so that her, she's she's in preschool and her preschool was only closed for like man two or three weeks nice it was so she's actually sam was at, was has been home way more oh really so my, my son's in second grade now um he's almost he's almost eight um he was home way more than silver was so yeah the like especially at the start of covid you know up until the summertime it was just I was a first grade teacher, you know? <laughs> like, not, so, not something I expected, but I mean, we made it work. It was cool. Yeah. Did he, did he like that? Did he have fun with it? No, he hated it. <laughs> did he? Yeah. He's a really social kid and it's just like, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't do well without contact with other people, you know? In, in early grades, my, my girlfriend teaches pre-K, so early grades, like watching her do her lessons, like on video. I like felt I'm like, damn, she's doing so much more like that. I because it's just there's so much interaction at that age between the teacher and the right. student and like the students need it and the teachers need it. Like it's just not it's very hard to replicate. Like with me, you know, it wasn't that hard to, you know, email them or make a video and have them do work. But watching. Yeah, you can't email elementary. Yeah, that's why I do like elementary, like elementary school kids. Yeah. I don't know how you because it's, so, it's just so much of this experience from doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And the the Zoom meetings that they that they would have, or like the times you know this year that the kids have been on Zoom meetings, just like watching what the teacher has to has to do to kind of like wrangle everyone and, and <laughs> keep everyone occupied. It's like, man, I, if I thought teachers were underpaid before, it's like whew. that's what no one understood. Like <laughs> the the whole video like virtual teaching thing is so much more work <laughs> and it's so much more awkward and it just. Like, yeah, with her kids, like, you know, one kid turns his laptop sideways and then that's, you know, they're all laughing and one kid's, you know, turns his head upside down or is sitting weird or like a kid has their dog walk by and there's just so many more distractions, especially with little kids or it's just anything. Or like if anything goes on the background with her, it's like a huge thing. If the dog starts barking or something. They're like, what's up with that? (laughs) The the first couple months, it was a daily battle with Sam. He would be like... Mm. Can I put a background on today? It's like, no, dog, you cannot put a background on. Yeah. The last thing you need to do is draw more attention to yourself and away from the teacher. And it's like, how about today? You go palm trees today? You go dinosaur today? Uh, like, no, we're not doing a background. 
I mean, it, it, it would be super cool, like, to an eight-year-old to be able to do that. I can't even <laughs> – that's the thing. Like, the things that we found cool when we were kids, without technology, I can't even imagine, like, what they would find – you know, the stuff they can do that they think is cool. Oh, for sure. If I could if I could have put, like, Ren and Stimpy in the background – if I had Zoom meetings when I was a kid and I could have put The Simpsons <laughs> on in the background, like, mm-hmm. every time that would have been on. So yeah. I get it, but <laughs> – yeah, we've had a couple of different businesses on uh, during the pandemic, including bars. Like, how has it been for you guys um, just this whole year of trying to figure out restrictions and, and adapt and adjust your business model? It's uh, It's been a struggle. Um, I, I think, a knock on wood, but I think we're sort of through it. I think I think the worst of it is behind us. As far as like, if we made it this far, we're probably right. not going to close. Um, Cause I mean, you know, as you guys know, there are a ton of businesses that didn't make it, but yeah, it was, it's, it's felt like the first year of being in business all over again, where it's like just constantly adapting to new struggles that we hadn't planned for constantly having to like be really smart about how we use our money. Mm-hmm. Um, and there've been some really positive things that have come out of it too. Like, uh, for example, at this shop, like the, the way the sort of flow of traffic goes now, you know, before COVID, it was just a free for all. And when we were sort of forced to redesign how people move through the space, it's like, man, this is a way better <laughs> layout. Like we should keep this yeah. forever. So, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not all been bad. It's also like, you know, we've, we've had to like, so I have a partner in this too. So when I say we, it's, I'm referring to my partner and I, um, we, we've had to like be a lot smarter about where we, how we use our resources and where our money goes and stuff like that. And it's a lot of this stuff kind of sounds like no duh, you know, you Mm. own a business, you should be doing this kind of stuff, but it's easy. I mean, we, this may, it'll be five years that we've been open. So, you know, we were four years in when COVID started and it was like, still, still a a struggle. Well, no, not still a struggle. It was kind of the opposite. It was almost like kind of, we were coasting, you know, the, the place like kind of ran itself. It's easy to like get lax about sort of things, Ah. you know, and, and COVID really was like, no, you can't, if you're going to own a business, you can't sleep on this shit. Like you got to be on top of it because something's going to come around and it's like, yeah. So I guess that's the, the kind of silver lining of all of it is like, it really kind of woke us up and be like, yo, we got to pay more attention to this. Yeah. Cause when you guys make a business plan, you don't design it for 25% occupancy, you know, right? right. like that. No one thinks about that. Yeah. You know, you guys do like maybe a 75 or 80, you know, or maybe even a 50%. There's nothing, I, there's nothing in our business plan about like, <laughs> if we have to, if we're forced to close down, yeah, like that exactly. thought right. never closed, that never crossed our mind. No, yeah. <laughs> like when, yeah, yeah, I mean, when would it ever occur to you to and plan it, for yeah. something like that? And it's, yeah. hard, it's hard for a small business to even have like a savings account that they could like, all right, I could keep the doors open for one or two months. Right. If no one's there. Apparently you know? it's impossible for large businesses too. Oh, wait a <laughs> The way these bailouts and stuff work. <laughs> the way they even, cry even about multi-billion it. dollar corporations cannot survive more than three months. Everyone yeah. in America is paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, luckily we, you know, we were able to get 
some grant money. We were able to get some PPP loans. We were able to get an EIDL loan. It's just sort of patching together, you know, handfuls of help wherever we can and make that work for almost a year now. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's because, you know, how it's like Groundhog Day. It's weird to think it's been a year. Right. I know. It doesn't feel like that. And I mean, it feels like five years. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, it, I mean, it feels like five years and it feels like three months. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's just been a weird time warp. Like uh, when we were before, we were discussing like, yeah, like one of the last places I came to, like the week before everything shut down was here. And it's just so it's so weird to think back. Yeah. That that was almost 12 months ago. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, let's take it back. Tell us about yourself, mm-hmm. what your background, where you're, where you're from, because you're more than just a bar owner. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm 39 years old. I'm Scorpio. <laughs> uh, I grew up in I grew up in Carson City. Um, my business partner, uh, his name's Radium. Uh, he's from Carson City, also. Like we we grew up together. Um. Yeah, I, st- I started playing in punk bands when I was 15. Um, I moved to Reno in 2003, um, continued playing in punk bands then. I started a record label in 2005. Um, I helped launch The Holland Project in 2007. Um, what else? I got married in 2010. Um, I had my first child in... 2013. It's just the milestones. milestones. I like, I like milestones. this. I like this. Uh, open Pinion in 2015. Um, had my second child in 2017. Uh, bought a house in there somewhere. So a lot, a lot of moving parts. A, a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's it's, you know, when you got to give the cliff notes on your life, it's hard to think about like which things you want to grab but i mean you did an excellent job just now chronological yeah. order could, was fantastic i don't think i, I could do that well yeah no. i remember so, yeah. years and stuff like that that well no either. we can uh we can drill down on any one of those if you guys <laughs> want. Just, well just like, take a pick i was going to ask you about you know your music background how mm-hmm. how did you sure like start you said you started playing when you were 15 um what was your style? So <laughs> I mean, I, that was in the '90s. So I, yeah, I, so what I, were your inspirations? I started style playing. Like I started playing guitar when I was 12 years old. Uh, my grandma got me a nylon, like a just a beater, crappy nylon string guitar. Um, the summer between, see, I was 12. That was probably between sixth and seventh grade. I'm bad about that kind of stuff. It was. I was in. It was a summer. It was in a long time school. ago. It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and the uh, you know at that time, uh, still kind of now, just my my thing was like heavy rock hard you know i was thinking about this on the drive over like how few people now are genre fans like i don't think that's as common as it was like when we were kids mm-hmm. it, like, yeah. you, everything's you, poppy yeah well you just you've you've like picked a sort of lane a subculture lane and that was your thing it was like, a subculture though like that was the, yeah, the, to- the like, totally so everything's kind of mainstream now it's hard to i mean yeah. i'm sure I'm sure 15-year-olds find a way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But my thing was definitely like hard hard rock, alternative rock, and mm-hmm. then punk rock, um, which I all kind of got into around middle school. Um, when so yeah, when I got, one does those things. Yes. Yeah. So I got, a, I got a guitar when I was 12, um, started my first band when I was 15, 
What was the name? Uh, it was called Seafood Buffet. <laughs> that's, that's a great name. Yeah. That's a great name. Yeah. You wouldn't think that would be a bunch of 15-year-olds. Oh, well, and it's like, man, that's way too good a name to <laughs> yeah. have been wasted on. On, yeah, the first, yeah. on your first one. Because the first one's always band. Band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You peaked with name calling at your first. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so started my first band at 15. Um, went on my first tour when I was... 17, I think. Ooh, wow. it, was, it was uh spring break. Maybe I was 18. I was, I was still in high school. Um, I think I was 17. I wish Radium were here. He because he was in that band too, so he would remember. So the seafood buffet went on too. No, so this was a different okay. this was All a right. band called Simple, and that Simple. was that All was right. a band that uh I was in through most of high school. Okay. Um yeah, when I moved to Reno, um uh, I that's I I joined a band or like a band was started, I guess I kind of joined it, called Name Followed by Number. And at the same time, I was also playing in a band called Think in French. And that was when I started the label, which is called Humanitarist. Um, basically because not knowing any better at the time, I was like, well, band's got to be on a label, right? If you're going to mm -hmm. put out a record, it's got to be on a label. I and mean, no, that no time, one wants to put our records yeah, out. So. Yeah. At that time, I feel like that was also the thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like lots of record labels were that's, started that's between true. like 1998 and 2008, I feel like. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, this was 2005. And, um, you know, being a fan of punk rock and being a fan of the label Discord from DC, it's like, man, how cool would it be if something like that existed in Reno? Like a punk rock label that only put out bands in Reno and I didn't really know the Spaceman guys very well at that time like I I maybe met Ty I didn't know Joe or anyone so I didn't really know that that kind of already existed <laughs> right um, back before the internet that was yeah. the hubris of me just being like man no one's done that before I'm gonna do that it's like not plenty of people have done that before yeah. there's already <laughs> someone older than you doing it yeah, yeah 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 um so yeah that's that's how the label got started um by virtue of being the first one in sort of my close group of friends and musicians to fill out order forms and have a record pressed, I just became the guy that everyone called like, uh, we want to put out a record. How do we do it? <laughs> I was like, cool. I guess I'm the label guy now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but that was, yeah, it was definitely, it's a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Hmm. I don't think I'm phrasing that the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying it wasn't easy, but just. I, I, I'm just saying like, you think of, you think of like record label and you think of, you know, some sort of like tastemaker sort of empresario or it, it just seems like such a more glamorous thing than it is, which is like, it's filling out paperwork. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. You weren't out there like Puff Daddy? Yeah. Sorry, Puff Daddy. But that's what owning a label is. It's filling out paperwork. He's the face. He's just yeah. the face, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, so it's just a lot of paperwork. How, like when you first pressed your first vinyl, um, it was with Simple. No, so the f the first vinyl that I pressed was not even for my band. It was a Cobra Skulls beer can split seven inch that I put out mm. in 2006. No, everything before that, um, as much as I love vinyl, it was such a like a luxury as far as price. Yes, as before mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when I was in high school, it was 
we were lucky enough that our drummer our drummer had a CDR. So we would just like burn CDs mm-hmm. of stuff that we had recorded. And that was it. We, it didn't have like artwork or anything. It was like Sharpie. a blank CDR with Sharpie <laughs> on it. Yeah, that was our record. Hey, you want to buy the record? Yeah. Like, what the hell is this? That's punk rock though. <laughs> yeah, I, it's something. DIY, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the first record I pressed was that was that seven inch. So it was, you know, I'd been, at that point I'd been making music and had recorded music for, man, Almost ten years, Almost, yeah, yeah. Before, uh, before I had it on vinyl, but yeah, I've, I've, there's been a bunch since then, and and there's something special about pressing vinyl that it's mm. like, man, every e- even now, whenever I get a new record that I've put out, it's like, this is something, man. This is nice to hold it in your hand, right? You know, like that's how I feel about books and things like yeah. that. It's just like. Or like a photo, like to print it out, like uh-huh. to hold the physical yeah. in your hand instead yeah. of seeing it on digital or just like hearing the low the low quality you get from streaming services. You know, yeah. it just it's just such a different feeling. And even if it sounds like shit, like I've put out some records that don't sound great, but it's the yeah the physical the tactile mm-hmm. aspect of it. Like I don't think that will ever go away. Mm-hmm. There will yeah, always like be the, people that want just that. having a collection of it. Like that was part of like accumulating them and curating them over time. I think that was the yeah. appeal. Yeah, yeah like you totally. Your CD, your record collection. And that's kind of like with having access to everything, it's kind of different on digital music, you know, mm-hmm. with digital music. It's the buffet of riches sort of thing that like, it's like watching TV on Netflix or something. It's like, man, I can't decide what to listen to. I end up just listening to on Spotify or watching on Netflix, the same 10 things. Cause it's like, it's overload. Yeah, and you, you so start much to develop here. like FOMO because you're like, what am I not seeing? You know, and yeah, it's just like an endless cycle. Or it's like, yeah, you then you may as well just pare it down and, and watch the same stuff instead of. <laughs> I mean, that being said, I've probably got a thousand records in my collection, so it's it's kind of that with that. <laughs> it's like, man, what am I? I guess I'll just listen to propaganda again. Okay, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, so <clears throat> through, I'm assuming through the, the music, because what, when I joined the board at Holland, you were just leaving. Yeah, so that, so that was when we first met. Yeah, yeah. It was was through the Holland project. I was wondering how did your involvement with Holland start uh, as just a musician to? So yeah, that that started um, kind of you know right around the time that I got Humanitaris going. Like I said, I was playing in a band called Thinking French. Um, we were just like starting to tour and stuff around that time. Um, but we were still playing a lot of shows here. And at that time, kind of like now there really weren't a lot of venues there. There was like maybe, um, this, this place down here at the end of Holcomb. I don't even know what it's called now. It was called club infinity at the time, but (laughs) like right by rain shadow. Yeah. I don't even think it's open anymore. There was like, there was like that place and the green room, mm-hmm. and I think Satellite had like just started having shows, and it's like those were, those were it. And then there was the Spaceman, if if you wanted to do an all ages show, right? So there was just like there was nothing in town, and um, I was friends with Britt's younger sister Joey, and she was like, oh, my sister's moving back to town. She's she's coming from Seattle, and she wants to open a venue here, like the Vera Project, and that was like kind of you know that was my introduction to it and in the you know before the holland project was even a thing like i just remember brit having these meetings 
where, you know, it'd be like 10 or 15 of us and it'd be like me and Joe Ferguson and I want to say like Jackson was there and it just like, a, you know, people that were involved and like Aaron was there, like people that were involved in the art and the music scenes in town, um, just sort of this loose group of people like just kind of getting together and throwing around ideas this was you know before it was before it was decided on a venue or an art space or anything just like getting together at where the old Bebo on uh by the university was but it wasn't even Bebo then it was like something I forget what it was called then yeah I do too but yeah that's that sounds about right and this was in like 2006 you know like in the winter and yeah just kicking around ideas and like wouldn't it be cool if we had this wouldn't it be cool if we had that and uh, Britt was invaluable because like she had the background for, for getting grant money and like how to run a nonprofit and stuff like that. She had done that in Seattle. So it's like none of us knew how to do any of that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, like a we, perfect we, storm. Though. We just like kind of kept chipping away at it little by little. And over the course of about a year, uh, got the space on Keystone. Um, that was... I, I think almost entirely Brit and Joe just like needling the city until they caved in or like here, take this and go away sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, we just started like putting all our effort into making that a space where we could have shows. And in hindsight, it's like, man, we, that was not even close to the right space, but it was the only thing we had at the time. So it's like, work with, we got to make it work. Mm -hmm. But I went to a play there. That was when I first, really the first time. Yeah. Uh, Salutes to my friend Mar Marvin Gonzalez. He did oh, Marvin. Some, so, some sort of play there. I don't even remember. And I remember going down there and being like, what is going on here? <laughs> Marvin and I worked together at Wild Oats. That was when I met Marvin. Like Ooh, nice. right around that same time. That's crazy. Salute yeah. to you, Marv. Yeah. Trying to go visit you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was, that was that's how the Pro Holland Project got started. That's crazy. And we were in that Keystone space for about two months. And then uh, there was... There was a, let me, let me be as diplomatic as I can. Um, there was a, a thorn in the side neighbor. <laughs> the shall remain nameless? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, actually, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was a real prick. And he, he kind of, uh, you know, when the, city, when the city sort of gave us that space, I think they thought that was just going to be the end of it. And it's like, we'll never hear about this sort of thing again. <laughs> well, and then, that, yeah, this dude started like making a fuss mainly because he didn't like kids being around. Um, and that put the microscope on us. And then like, you know, fire marshal started poking around and this, that, and the other a familiar story to yeah. another space I, or other spaces I know about. Yeah. And then that was, that was basically the end of the keystone space. It was like going to require so much money just to bring it up to code but then there were all these ordinances that we were going to have to work around and stuff. So that was when that space ended and the Holland Project moved to where Death and Taxes is right across the street. And it was there for a couple of years. And that's when I started working for the Holland, for the Holland Project. I wasn't just a, I wasn't just like a, a volunteer or, um, you know, someone who did shows and stuff there. I, I became one of the program managers there. Oh, okay. Nice. I, I, was, the, I, was, the, I was the music director there. Um, oh, so were you the first music director? No. Well, so when it was on Keystone, there was a woman named Heather Fuss, and she was the sort of the music director and the events director and the art director. She was, <laughs> she was, it was like her and Britt were the only two people. Um, and then when Heather left, 
that job was split between me and Van. Um, so I guess I was the first like dedicated music director. That's funny. But yeah, Heather did that and a zillion other things before me. She was the first sort of person in charge of programming there. And how, like to look back and see now that you guys own your own space and all the things it's done and it's a leader within the art community. How does that, I mean, they were, they, they were able to, you know, help hundreds of artists during the pandemic. Yeah. Give out, yeah. you know, I forgot how much, I think it was like $75,000. I should like, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's, it's one of the things I'm the most proud of in my life. Um, particularly buying the building because that happened when I was the president of the board. It's like once that was done, I know that the organization is so much bigger than any one person can be, but because I had been there from the beginning, there was like, there was a, there was a sense of ownership that I had about it. That was just a completely personal thing. You know, it wasn't like bestowed or anything. It was just how I felt about being that organization where it's like, I need to make sure before I am not involved with this organization anymore that it's going to exist forever because this is, in my opinion, the most important cultural thing in Reno. So I was really, really happy that sort of my last act with the Holland Project was being the president of the board and purchasing the building. And yeah, like I look at it now and just think, like where where it'll be in ten more years? I know it it's, it's it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy now to like know that there are kids going to Holland Project things that like never grew up in a world where the Holland Project didn't exist. Like that is so awesome. That's something that when I was a kid was such a pipe dream that right. something like that would be an institution. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's like. It's hard to not get emotional talking about it. No, yeah, it, it's it should be. I mean, you guys, what you guys have done is it's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you're part of that too, though. Yeah, you're on the board, man. So it's yeah, like what we've done. True, true. <laughs> yeah, my, I'm actually terming out. I mean, I should like. Uh, it was six years ago this month I joined Holland Project, and I'm terming out in June. We, we just changed the bylaw, so it's crazy to see how it's changed because I joined right you guys had just bought the building and yeah. we were we were dealing with you know maintaining it and coming up with a budget to like for insurance and you know we've made improvements and added to it and um the pivot in the last year with with COVID has been crazy but again like Alana and Britt and Brigden and everyone else involved they're they're just good at what they do like, yep and adapting on the fly and and uh, working around crazy circumstances. That's the thing I love the most about punk rock or, you know, what, however we want to dress it up. But on the bigger scale, this sort of idea of DIY, which was which is kind of the thing that brought everyone together for the Holland Project. It's the thing that's brought everyone together in music in my life. It's ultimately led to you know, this place and to owning my own business, it's, it all starts from this DIY spirit. And I, I love that adaptability and that sort of like almost hubris of like not giving up no matter what. It's like, this is going to get done. We have to do this to survive. 
sort of thing. It just proves where, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it proves how essential art, if that's what you want to call it, this greater thing that, you know, be it music or or photography or mm-hmm. painting or however we want to dress it up, this thing that is art, how essential it is to the human condition. Yeah, it, it's... It saddens me that so many people don't have a connection with art. You know, Caesar and I talk about it all the time, just people who don't have that appreciation or connection or of any sort of art. Like wherever your creative, whatever your creative outlet is, you know, that's it's human nature. I mean, before like, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, they were painting in um, caves yeah. and they were making music. So yeah. like, it's mm-hmm. it innately part of what be, it's being human and the way. Just it's just devalued in our society, and people bitch constantly. You know, being on the Arts and Culture Commission, <laughs> people bitch about spending a pittance on any sort of art, like it's a waste of money. And you're like, literally, what do you think TV that you listen to, and music that you listen to, and all the things you consume are created by these people? By and you artists, have no yeah. fucking <laughs> regard. Like it's you know, they have no regard for it. Mm-hmm. The budget of the Holland Project is so minuscule. Like, why are you, why do you even give a shit about this yeah. sort of thing? I'm like, we're talking about like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. That like between these, you know, ent- entities that I, just me personally, I'm involved with and people, and I'm like, you're getting upset about $20,000 here and $10,000 there, but you're not upset about like, Fifty billion, you know, fifty million dollars here, mm-hmm. even in Reno, mm-hmm. spent on things that are oh, yeah. bullshit. Or exactly. like, we'll talk more later, mm-hmm. like the government waste, uh, you know, at yeah. the state and national level, and it's just I'm like, but and there's tangible benefits from this. Like, we spend so much of our energy just educating and promoting the fact that art <laughs> should like exist and be supported. Yeah, and it's it's insane. I had never thought about this until you brought it up just a couple minutes ago about how like the the artifacts from the existence of humans that have lived the longest are art Mm -hmm. like what is the (laughs) oldest shit on the planet yeah that humans have made that's still around it's like it's art it's drawings on cave walls yes it's like that that's it that's literally the oldest thing humans have done right and the only thing that lasts seemingly forever from humans yeah. right it, it's mind-boggling <laughs> yes. to think that's like, insane when you think about like those you know the cave paint like you know you learn about those cave paintings in france or whatever and how old they are and you just think like how different the like geologically how different the world was and that shit's still here how different everything mm-hmm. in a human's life was between then and now and the one thing that we've all still got in common we got to make smart man yeah mm-hmm. you're drawing st- like Stick, you know, yeah. I have, you have kids, you see, we, you guys have kids, mm-hmm. you see it, I, I have like four nieces and nephews all under the age of four and, you know, like just giving them a blank piece of paper and a crayon and that's all they need to create whatever. Yeah. And even like kids have rhythm. It's crazy, you know, like you just give them a stick and then they make a beat themselves, you know? Uh-huh. And for, it's just like, I feel it gets like brainwashed, you know, like we need this, this and this and creativity and your artistic expression gets pushed to the side when it should be in the forefront. Because like, like you said, television, music, like how do they get those weird space ideas, you know, 
And I mean, Caesar's so daughter is like not even two, and he sends me a video like last week of her. He put some headphones on, and she, you know, she she starts bobbing to the, like just. Yeah. You know, like, and didn't want to give me the headphones back. <laughs> and I was like, I need to work, baby. You know, like, and, but like, yeah, they love music. And it's just, it's crazy. Cause like, you know, I always like with my mom, she had me so young. So it was just like work. And that was like, you know, to survive, you know? Yeah. And now that she's older and retired, I try to get her into like a hobby, like even like reading or even like, you know, doing some art with her friends, like, you know, I kind of like, hey, go to Picasso and wine with your girlfriends or something, you know? And then for her, it's just like there's no, you know, no creativity or nothing. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, if we're, our society is designed that, like, people mm-hmm. have to grind so hard just to live and survive. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's the other part of this is, like, art, when we started making art, that was showing that, like, we had evolved beyond just surviving. Yeah. Like, you have to have leisure time. You have to have... You know, as a, like as human civilization, like you, the more art we've produced is you know shows how advanced we've been because people have more leisure time. You're not just struggling right. to survive, mm-hmm. and I think part of the devaluation of art is just because so many people in our society are struggling just to make ends meet and just basically survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have time for mm-hmm. it, and that goes to show you that like we're regressing in some ways. In totally. our super advanced society, yet people don't have time to fucking appreciate cave drawings that we did fifty thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah. When when I was a kid, uh, do they still take field trips out to like, um, what's that place right outside of Fallon that has like all the pictograms and stuff? When I was uh, a kid, we used to go to places like that all the time at school. I doubt, like, and, and I've most I, I don't unless think you're going to anymore. like a private school or something. No, like field trips again. It can't be quantified. That can't be quantified. So it's kind of right. taken out of the education. You know, we're focused on fucking standardized tests. There's yeah. no room for right. like a field trip no, to go look totally. at art. But that, it's like. But that's what you're going to remember 30 years later. Mm-hmm. To, that's what I was just going to say. Like, that's what I remember from elementary school. I remember my friends and I remember the field trips. Like, I don't remember anything <laughs> I learned. Yeah. Like, I, I can remember. Being, <laughs> Sorry, Sean. I don't remember anything no, like, I was taught. Like, like, when I look back to my, like, like again, six, seven, eight years old, I can remember, like, me and my friends practicing drawing, like, the Ninja Turtle fucking mm-hmm. comic, like, trying to draw, like, the Ninja Turtle. And, like, I remember the pride I had because, like, in second grade, I was one of the best kids at drawing, like, the fucking Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And I had, like, my own little style <laughs> of it. And, uh, like, Bart Simpson, like, drawing the Simpsons characters. And, like, we would sit in class or, like, sit and, like, show like show them off to each other. And by the time, you know, I was in, like, high school, like, that had completely been killed out of me. Like, it took... I was telling the students the other day, I'm like, when I was your age, I fucking hated art. And I hated, like, I, I never thought I'd be writing poems or making music or anything because that was never shown of any value in school. Yeah. It took me getting out of school and reconnecting with that thing that I had loved even as a kid. Yeah. I don't know if it was like that up here in Carson. It was almost kind of. So being in a band was sort of like of its own thing. But being really into like art, just being really into anything when I was in high school in the 90s was like kind of corny. Mm-hmm. And right. that, that's one of those things where it's like, man, I wish I could have a do over on that sort of thing. Yeah, me too. I mean, I took I, like in second grade, I started taking drum lessons and I quit after like a year and a half. And yeah. I'm like, what if I had kept that up? 
you know? I don't know what it was about playing guitar that I didn't quit. Cause, cause there's a ton of things like that with me. Like, yeah, when I was a kid, I, I, you were talking about drawing Ninja Turtles and it made me, I hadn't thought about this in years. When I was in fifth grade, a friend of mine and I tried to design a video game like Street Fighter. Ooh. And we like drew all our own characters and everything. And same thing, like I, I used to love, I, I used to be really good at drawing and draw all the time. And then about like freshman year of high school, I just stopped doing it. Mm. And it wasn't until I had kids that I started doing it a lot again. Yeah, it was me when I was like, in college working with kids, you know, in the after school program and being like, you know what, we're just going to draw today. Like, here's a blank piece of paper, just like we're just going to draw pictures and you're going to show them off. Yeah. And like they were all it, it would be super. Yeah, everyone would be super into it. And it's just it's so sad that, you know, that we're cre- like we spend so much time like, oh, we need entrepreneurs. We need creatives. We need people to solve problems. We're naturally that is the entirety of our species and we fucking beat it out of kids for 10 years Mm -hmm. yeah that was the in the early days of the holland project that was the biggest selling point we had for funding for the holland project is like reno you want entrepreneurs and you want people to i mean when when the holland project was in this neighborhood like this neighborhood was a dump yeah i was thinking that when we parked when we parked over there on uh on center street i was just like man, like, look how, I'm like, I wonder how much this house is right here. Like, mm-hmm. there's, like, we're not even on Virginia Street. We're a block over, yeah. and it's super, super nice. There's yeah. boutique restaurants and stores yeah. here where 15 years ago. In 2007, there were, like, I would come to work at the Holland Project, and there would be people smoking crack, like, yeah. in the bush out in mm-hmm. front of this. Uh, Kate and I used to live down the street, um, and she would walk the dog, and, like, on more than one occasion, people would just be like getting high in the bushes and we're just like, hey, you want to get high? Sort of thing. <laughs> like, it was just a, a routine yeah. occurrence. And then it's, I mean, I don't want to give the Holland Project all the credit for Midtown, <laughs> but it definitely gets some of the credit. Well, right? and just look at the people who are involved in it and what you guys have gone on to do. All of those people o- now are like, yeah. Business owners. Know, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, when the Holland Project was there, Bootleg Courier was next door. Like that was how I met Tim. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's just like everyone that was involved at that at those early stages are like, yeah, they've all kind of made a name for themselves now. And it, it, I mean, it just proves like Midtown it, wouldn't be possible without the creatives and the people who are involved in the arts. One hundred percent. I mean, that's the driving force behind all of this shit. Mm-hmm. And people seem to forget that. But <laughs> enough, enough about. Enough about how yeah. we solved we solved the world's problems, you guys. Art. <laughs> Sorry to say, this will be Art the last problems. episode of the podcast because <laughs> we're retiring on top. <laughs> so the idea of the bar, how did it come? Um. So, like, kind of talking about the, the sort of DIY spirit. Um, that's obviously something that's been in me, you know, ever since I was a kid. Um, about. 15 years ago, between 12, 15 years ago, timing's a little fuzzy on that. uh, I started homebrewing with some friends of mine. And that's what really got me. I mean, you know, backing up even before that to like, to like high school when people kind of start drinking, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all all my friends were really like, they were just into like 
getting fucked up, you know? So, yeah. so everyone was just drinking like Natty Ice key, or key, Keystone, Keystone is what everyone yeah. in Carson yeah. would drink back then. <laughs> uh, Keystone and Mickey's. Mm-hmm. And both of those are just like, oh yeah. man, this is awful. Yes. And like the, the kind of beer that did it for me was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's like yeah. I would way rather have. I feel that's, that, that was, was the, the start. That was that's, like the, that's the, start the stepping right stone. That's back the then gateway for everyone. drug yeah. for craft beer, man. Exactly. It's, it's craft beer didn't even exist. The term craft yeah. beer didn't yeah. exist back then. I mean, this was in the '90s. And then when you're young, you're just like you want like because the pale ale it's very hoppy and it's so yeah. different. That's everyone's like entry level, totally. you know. And now it's just like I really don't drink that much hoppy stuff, you know. But I mean, I like, still to this day, if like if I had to if I had to just pick. Like, not what my favorite beer is, but what I think the best beer in the world is. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm probably going to have to give it to Pale Ale. Mm-kay. It's like, tell me another beer that you can go anywhere in the country. At this point, maybe anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And you can, A, you can find it. It's yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. B, it's consistent. It's going to taste the same. And C, it's like, it's awesome. Yeah. The only other stuff that you can find with that amount of regularity is going to be like Budweiser but, or something. Yeah, yeah. Something that's the equivalent of like of an average domestic lager. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'll take a pale ale over those. I'll take a certain about a pale ale over yeah. those any yeah. day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I feel like a part of becoming a man was like <laughs> switching from like drinking only like, you're like, Oh, Coors Light's like a step up from Keystone or whatever. And then you start drinking like a pale ale and it was like, Oh, okay. Like, I'm a college student now. <laughs> I, See, I'm was, legally drinking. Yeah, I'm not going to drink Coors Lights for high schoolers. Yeah, that's construction yeah. beer. Yeah. <laughs> Coors Light hurts my belly now. <laughs> like, I'm too bougie. I remember when I was kids, people being like, Coors Light tastes like bananas. Bananas? They're I bananas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Last night, like Samantha was like, man, I kind of have a taste for a beer. I'm like, isn't there some beers in there? She's like, there's a Coors Light. I'm not oh, really. No, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I don't want to get drunk. I just kind of wanted like a beer, beer, and I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Like, That's like, man, I would really like. I would really like a taco right now. The only thing that's open is Taco Bell. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's okay. I don't want to talk about that yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's all right. <laughs> no, same thing. Like, I go to people's and they like offer me like a Coors Light or a Budweiser. I'm like, nah, water's tight. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I got hydrate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, I mean, that was sort of. Like I said, before craft beer was a thing, that was sort of what got me, that was my foot through the door, was, you know, like I said, in high school, just being like, man, I'd rather have one of these than five six or ten yeah, keystones. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> if you want to give me five or six pale ales, that'd be even better. Yes. <laughs> and, and that just sort of led me to like, you know, all through my 20s, just kind of seeking out new, it's like, man, there are more beers out there than just Budweiser. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and track these things down and figure out what this is all about. And then, like I said, about 15 years ago, I started brewing with some home brewing with some friends of mine and that really got me involved in craft beer. And, you know, that's when I started figuring out like the components of beer and what gives, you know, specific mm-hmm. flavors and, you know, styles that aren't, especially in like 2005, 2006 styles that aren't as available on the West coast of the United yes. States that exist elsewhere mm-hmm. in the world sort of thing. <clears throat> simultaneously while this is going on, you know, I'm in touring bands and I'm traveling around the country and I'm, I'm going to places like Seattle and San Francisco and Denver and stuff and seeing places that are like pinion there mm-hmm. and just being like, man, this is such a dope idea. Like somebody should do this in Reno. Yeah. Kind of like my idea with the, with the record label, but 
unlike the record label, like there wasn't, it, there wasn't it kind one of already. didn't exist here when yeah, they yeah. had the idea. Um, so yeah, that was that's kind of where Pinion came from. Not kind of that's one hundred percent where Pinion came no, from. And that's tight because also with like homebrewing, you could be once again back to creativity. Yeah, like you could make a crazy concoction, and it's just fantastic. Full disclosure: mm-hmm. I was a shit brewer. I was never good at <laughs> never like, good. It's super hard. It's, like, it's, it's to, really hard. It. It's then, like a science experiment. Yeah, like yeah, in college, totally. we started experimenting with it, and then like later on. When I was in grad school, I, my buddy, my roommate at the time, w- was like an actual brewer. Like he worked for Silver Peak, yeah. and like watching how he brewed beer versus how we used to do it, I was <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh, this oh, is why our the, beer half the time tasted like shit, like you, trash." Yeah. You mean the pros don't brew it in a in a five gallon bucket from Home Depot? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he and yeah. he like, I mean, salute to Joe. He he would write down every single step every single time he uh-huh. did and like the time like the timing and temperatures right. and stuff just to get that consistency and that's how i learned like wow like this is why the beer you know this is how you get consistency but it was like a mix of art and science like you, you know part of it was that science part but also part of it was the art of like experimenting with the ingredients right. mm-hmm. and, and mixing the flavors and getting the different you know ratios of ingredients right so that's cool how how was it because you guys expanded to yeah. sparks to a second mm-hmm. location didn't you like that was not too long before the the so yeah the sparks location opened in june of 2019 and uh february of 2020 we had the best month we've ever had at the sparks location we're like oh man we're gonna we're gonna be solvent by the end of the year this is we're gonna this is gonna be great this was a smart move and two weeks later, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, the sound from the sound from Price is Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the one cool thing about the spot, the thing that kind of saved us is we serve food at the Sparks location. So we were able to, to open, up open up sooner okay. there than we were here. I mean, this this location was closed nine months out of last year or seven months or so like more than half of the year this location was closed last year and we were only closed in sparks for about a month and a half yeah and then we were able to open first for to go and we were open to that was actually at a time where i mean people were still really gun shy but also really big on getting to go stuff like kind of in you know, April, May of right, last year, right. we had a, we had like a ton of support. People were like going out of their way to come buy stuff from us, which was really nice. Um, and then like, I think that just kind of got once, once the reality of like, this isn't going to be over by June set in, then like just everyone started staying home, rightly so just started mm-hmm. staying home. And that was, this summer was like a pretty bleak, Outlook. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, luckily, yeah. we made it through, but it was like, man, I don't. For a while there, I don't. It, it didn't look good. And I love the Sparks location because I like to go to that Sparks Theater. Yes. Because it's nobody uh, goes. There. Yeah, it's less crowded, mm-hmm. and they still have like the fancy seats. Because we went yeah. and saw what was the movie with the Guy Ritchie movie last year, right before lockdown. The gentleman. The gentleman. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, me and my girlfriend met some friends, and we went to Pinion first and had drinks, and then we went. And, and saw a movie there, and I was like, oh, this is great. Because that was my first time since uh-huh. I'm, I'm like, oh, and like, like there's, we don't have to go to Great Basin. Like, no offense to Great Basin, yeah. but I'm like, we don't have to go to, like, if we just want to get a beer, we can go to Pinion, and get a beer. Right it's right, the right there. Mm-hmm. We can park. Everything's here. This is super cool. So I, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, Great let, Basin is oftentimes a victim of their own success. I mean, you try and go in there, and it's just like, 
there's too many people here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you can't just go get a, like on a Saturday or Friday night. You can't just go sit at the bar and have exactly. a beer. Yeah, anymore, totally. Like mm-hmm. I could when I was 22. Yeah, and like that's cool though that you guys went there because Sparks is like it's coming back. You know, like in high school we used to go to like the farmers market on Thursdays and like a lot of things were going on there. And I'm happy that Sparks, especially downtown Sparks, is almost turned into like city living. Where everything is like you could live upstairs and everything is downstairs. Yeah, they got that amphitheater and, there. They got those yeah. apartments and they condos. They just need like a nice grocery store, like a small totally. one there, especially because there's so many apartments there. Like if someone could just walk to, you know, get your couple of days worth of groceries, it would yeah. be fantastic. Or a bodega. A bodega, yeah. Someone sponsor me, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> those. Those uh, farmers markets in Sparks were wild, man. I haven't oh thought God. about those in a, in a long time. People <laughs> were just so drunk that was, all the time. Like yeah, they would yeah. have they would have mounted horsemen come literally like get people off the yeah, street, yeah, like, leave. Like yeah, hey, it's like fucking nine cops. o'clock, you drunken <laughs> drunkards, like drunk clear the fucking streets. Kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because if you were old enough, you just go into Great Basin or right? something, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, it, I was in college when all that was happening. Yeah, it was, it was definitely like. But I was like, yeah, like you just, all the high school s- kids are just like trying to like find a place to drink still. You're yeah. gonna see a lot of puke in the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that's what that's when the weekend started was Thursday. <laughs> Thursday, mm-hmm. that's when the weekend starts. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was like there was so much going on there. Like that was you you went down there just to cruise like and be seen like that yeah. was the scene like, and there were like thousands of people yeah there. It, it was, was like, like the, the entire town was there every thursday yes and like everyone was under 25 yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. like because like my dad started going uh like way later and after it kind of died down and he, i'm like oh like that's right people actually go there to buy fruit. To buy fucking I, fruit. I, where, where was the farmer's market? I don't even remember seeing I don't remember people a, selling a shit there before. Anywhere. But if you go there early enough, I remember if you go there early enough, there weren't all the kids there. Yeah. yeah you if know? you went there like two in the afternoon. And then you could buy, you know, your fruits and veggies from local people and your honey and so on and so forth. But after like seven, like when the sun slowly started yeah. going down, that's when like the drunk ass people came out, you know? And the music started playing at Great Basin. Uh-huh. So, like, that's also why. Because I think it was mainly towards in front of the Nugget. So, and everyone used to kind of hang out past that right, towards yeah. Great Basin. Right. Where all the liquor stuff, like the cantina and everything like that. Yeah. Because they had their their places outside, uh-huh. you know. But it was mainly down there. I can remember waiting in line at Great Basin to get, like, you know, they had the outside bar. And mm-hmm. you could buy, like, people buy it. Everyone got that bitch and berry. Yeah. It was like- and then margaritas, you know, like lemonade and especially if you're in high school you get someone else to buy your stuff and you get that huge lemonade and spike your punch you know funny story about bitch and berry when we <laughs> opened this place we have we have 36 taps and you know we hook everything up and we just had a big bucket and we just pulled everything through to get it ready like the day we're open or whatever and just you know two mississippi on every tap just to get clean the it beer yeah. flowing mm-hmm. through it so we've, we've got this bucket mm-hmm. full of 36 beers and we had bitch and berry on. That was one of the beers. And I was like, Ray, you got to take a drink out of it. And he <laughs> took a drink of the bucket. And I was like, what does it taste like? And he's like, it just tastes like bitch and berry. <laughs> like that overpowered everything. Uh, 35 other beers. And it's like, no, bitch and berry came out on top. Uh, it's like, the, like what do they call uh, every bar or every region has a different where they do the mat. Oh, yeah. The thing. So like New Jersey Turnpike, that was like your New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. It just tasted like bitch and berry. They had the mat shot. That's gross. Yeah, that's terrible. People, people do. I'm like, nah. You guys are crazy. People who've done it. People like, in your twenties are fucking wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> messy as fuck. Yeah, 
I just remember it called the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. I don't know. But it goes by many names. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Clint, this has been uh, a great conversation. Mm-hmm. We want to thank you for hosting us again. I think we're going to take our first break. Caesar can play his song of the week. Yeah. So um, one of the guys from the Fat Boys died, Prince Marquis D. So I'm going to play a little Fat Boys and Jailhouse Rap by the Fat Boys. So listen and enjoy, guys. Salud. Uh, 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 uh,
Well, welcome back. That was Caesar's song of the week. It was Jailhouse Rap by the Fat Boys. Yeah, once again, salute to Prince Marquis D. He died recently of the Fat Boys. And Fat Boys are just like three homeboys, and they're kind of big boys as well, kind of like us here at the table. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I think eventually they hooked up with Heavy D, and they did, you know, like a bunch of just awesome songs. And I don't know, they were always just so, so fun. And like uh, the thing I like about that song, like that classic drum, the drum line, as soon mm-hmm. as it comes in, like yes. you recognize, mm-hmm. like, oh, you takes you, like, that's that 80s original style, like, definitely takes you back that, you know, we love hip hop and just yes. the evolution of drums over, over the years. The sampling. <laughs> you can always tell like the era based on yeah. the drums if you listen carefully. Mm-hmm. And the fat boys are back. We can never be whack. <laughs> Well, Caesar, it is that time of the show. World news. And uh, leading off world news, as it has for most of the last year. <laughs> yes. COVID, but co- good news. COVID cases are going down mm-hmm. uh, here locally in Washoe County. We're at our lowest uh, levels since, uh, like, for the rolling average of seven-day cases, we haven't been like this since last summer. And the total number of cases it's, it hasn't been like this since October, so... Mm-hmm. Definitely moving in the right direction. Hopefully, the governor's released some things for opening up. So, hopefully, businesses will be able to increase their capacity and mm-hmm. things, you know, with so many people being vaccinated. But there was some bad news. There's a new strand from California, and uh, it's super small sample size, so they aren't sure, but it's they think it's both e- passes between people more easily and makes people more sick. Is it like the same one like the UK? Or is no, it because the di- UK and the South African ones. They, they don't get people as sick, but they transmit more easily. Mm-hmm. But they're like, this one is both. Oh, and they're okay. like worried. And they're like, they're worried that this one might meet up with one of the other ones from the UK or South Africa and then mutate again. Or like Voltron? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. why they're like, we got to like, this is our chance to like prevent this, these mutations from spreading right now. Getting people vaccinated mm-hmm. and, and stopping it before it mutates more. Science. Again. People, once again, it's like art. People don't believe in science as well. Which is weird to me. Speaking of people not believing in or <laughs> listening to science, Texas uh, was, the, this article just came out this week, Texas was four minutes away from a blackout that would have lasted months based on the way their electrical grid was set up. So four the minutes. demand was so high. So on. four minutes. So what, like if they kept it on longer or something or didn't flip the switch in time? Didn't start the rolling blackouts because it would have burned out like all these different switches and it would have taken weeks to go through and reset them all. Mm. Four minutes away. Four? Hmm. On like February 15th or whatever day that was. Well, the crazy thing is like we had Ch- Chelsea and Jillian on that Saturday morning before it even started snowing. And they were like, they were talking about how crazy things were and snow hadn't even started. Yeah. Because it was just cold. Because it was just cold. <laughs> and then the snow hit. And yeah, it, it's just, uh, what a, it's just, you know, and then Ted Cruz getting caught leaving and all of his shit. Like blaming his fucking daughters like okay how can you do that like oh i'm gonna blame my kids on this because i want to look like a decent human being but obviously you're blaming your kids makes you not a decent human being i mean i thought about putting him for fuck boy of the week but we have a much better one so yeah oh my God. i don't know i don't know if you can get a better fuck boy and take cruise man oh sean probably got one. i got one you'll you'll yeah. agree he's, once you hear he's, it. he's just the he's just like the the running like the average the baseline yeah, yeah. The, ba- the, the one I have is much more closer to home is why I yeah. picked him. Oh, okay. It's way funnier because mm-hmm. his actions the last six months have been very fuckboyish. Um, 
And then in government waste news, I love salutes man. to Mike. He sent us this article the other day, and I was like, God damn it. The, the uh, Air Force has admitted that the F-35 fighter jet was a failure because they, they are calling. They need, to de- they need to design a new jet for the purpose that this was supposed to fill. Mm. And they're like, this, like, when it was originally designed, it was to replace the F-18 and F-16s. And they're like, they still have to use those because these are so sophisticated. And like, if they wanted a cheap, like, jet, and they like put so much shit in this that it can't fulfill its duty that they wanted it to do. <laughs> and they're unreliable and super clunky because like a lot of the technology is old now. That and like it's trying like, and they cost a hundred million dollars each. Each. Okay. And the whole program costs so much money. That they said they could have housed every homeless person in the United States for 150 years off the money they wasted on this. No, it's just like, once again, like wasting money inappropriately, you know? Like, yes, we need jets and stuff, you know? But, for, like, do we? Like, like these are all going to be replaced by drones in, like, 30 yeah, years anyway. Exactly. But, like, same thing with, like, police. Like, the local police doesn't need military tanks, you know? Like, what, what could better use could that money go to? Yeah, maybe. Okay, one. I'll give you one, but you don't need... Because what was the stat that we got? It was like one for every like 20, three cops or three something, cops or something in Reno. Need. And I was like, one's fine. So they have that Lily. many tanks in Reno? They had, they, um, I forget. They had, mm-hmm. uh, like, I don't know if it was, whatever certain military gear, it was one for every three cops in yeah. Reno. Jesus. And you're just like, for what? Mm-hmm. Just to waste money or just... Yeah, we don't even have the farmer's market anymore. What do you need that for? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's not even that many drunk teenagers around for you to harass. They didn't even need a tank. (laughs) Get get wild mustangs. Maybe if there had been more Holland projects around, people wouldn't have been getting drunks in fucking public markets. Right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and it's just just so crazy. And how people always think like defund the police means no police. No, it just means give them less money. Just means the police don't also need to be the military. Exactly, you know. Like I understand you need some things. Like and they also get... don't need to be social workers. Yeah, and they also don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Like we need to pay tax collectors. Yes, and... but like again, like with these budgets, like it goes up every year, and you're just like, why are police budgets going up? But crime has been going down in this country for thirty years. Mm-hmm. But we're spending more and more on policing, even mm-hmm. though, you know, this one of these things doesn't belong. Yeah, like, we all saw Sesame Street as a kid. Exactly. Or like uh, the war on drugs, like the same thing, you know, like oh. the government brings drugs in, but they also let's move on. To, like we can't with that. Let's just move <laughs> yeah. on to something more positive. We can get into the war on drugs. <laughs> I, I think all three of us are of the same mind on that. <laughs> Clint is ready. Popped and locked. Let's talk about not taking L's. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, in music news this week. So much good stuff. Bruno Mars and Anderson Pac annou- announced they have a new collaboration. They're calling themselves Silk, Silk Sonic. Such a good fucking And they name. have a new mm. project coming out together. And, like, first of all, Anderson Pac has just been on a winning streak mm. for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. His his sounds. And then uh, Bruno Mars. I'm interested to see how they like, because their styles are so different. And Bruno Mars has just been all, like, he's obviously very musical talented, mm-hmm. musically talented, but he's made stuff all over the place the last few years. Yeah, because before Bruno Mars was, you know, out and about, he was writing music for everybody. Yeah. So, and he's like a talented musician. So to bring these two people together, and they're probably going to have like a nice big band too, because Anderson Pock and, you know, Bruno Mars's history, that it's going to be great, you know? Like, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, it could go in so many different directions mm-hmm. just based off their talents alone. Yeah. 
Anderson Pock's got a Reno connection. I don't know if you guys know about this. Ooh, Please share. Know. Let us uh, know. A lot of his records have been mastered by my homie Jared Hirschland, who's from Reno. Really? He lives in L.A. now, but yeah, well, nice. he's a mastering engineer. Nice. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Reno's out there making moves, people. Just, it, we're so. everywhere. We're no, everywhere. Just like people didn't believe me that uh, Pac recorded some uh, stuff here. Oh, at Granny's house? Yes, at yeah. Granny's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, was that off Mill Street, right? It was on. It's on the corner. The house is still there. It's mm-hmm. on the corner of uh, Plumas and Mount Rose. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Right by that Seven Eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure that the board is still in there too, because that thing is massive. I don't know how yeah. they would have got it out without like blowing out walls and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of that gear is still in there. Ooh. No one uses it as yeah. a studio anymore, but I think a lot of that stuff's still there. Ooh. Nice. Might be good to. Maybe a little photo shoot in there or something. That would be a cool. little history. Or have an album shoot in there for, for one of our one friends. Of our, yeah. Oh. Always oh, oh, out, yes. And then speaking of uh, music, talented, musically talented people, Mac Miller swimming with platinum, platinum officially. Lauren Hill, uh, Diamond. Which is crazy to think. Like mm-hmm. back, you know, prior to, you know, digital music, going platinum was a huge, huge deal. Like, mm-hmm. Going Diamond was, you know, not... There's only so many records that have gone Diamond. So, hip-hop-wise, Diamond. She's the first woman uh, MC to have a Diamond. But Outkast has it for um, that dual album that they did. Speaker Box Love Below. Yes, that one. Uh, Tupac's Greatest Hits is on there. Eminem has two of them, two of his albums on there. Because there's only seven, seven or eight now hip-hop albums that are biggies. Biggie's on the there. The first 50 Cent record isn't Diamond? It seems like that would have been. Uh, maybe the song, but I don't know about the Get mm. Rich or Die Trying. Yeah. But this is like the whole album. So, uh, but yeah, like the top, it's like two Eminem, two, two Pox, a Biggie, Outkast, Lauren Hill now, and I forgot the last one, but um, yeah. It's, it's I just a, remember it, I worked at Tower when that record came out, and it was like, Every third transaction was someone buying that record. Tower, for like, the, where was Tower at? Was that over there on Devonte? Yeah, it was. It was on. It was on South Virginia, like right across the street from where Whole Foods is. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, by by uh, Target. Yeah, Target. Man, high school. That that was the thing. Like I remember, like on Friday night, like my buddy worked at Whole Foods, so we would go hang out in Tower until he got off work and just listen to music and you know yeah. be, be teenagers. Uh-huh. The last one was MC Hammers. Oh, really? <laughs> That's why it didn't come to me. <laughs> but that one, yeah. That makes sense. So it's like MC Hammer, Tupac's greatest hits. Too legit to quit. The Eminem Show, uh, Life After Death for Biggie, Marshall Mathers, uh, All Eyes on Me, and Outkast. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, salutes to uh, Lauren Hill and mm-hmm. Mac Miller for uh, making moves. Yeah. Especially Lauren Hill, like woman-wise, you know, to have a woman MC. Up in the up in the diamond category is fantastic. And also the score celebrating twenty five their twenty fifth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh like recent I think it was like two weeks ago it came out, mm-hmm. twenty five years ago. Yeah. One of the greatest albums of all time. So Yeah, it's history like this hip hop, because like hip hop is still new, you know, relatively. Like the people who've started it are still alive. Yeah. Still which making is, music. Which is fantastic. Like, you know, um cool herc, you know. People still go to the Bronx and go talk to them and things like that. And, you know, like, what is it? What's the address? Like, one, two, three, Segway or whatever, where hip hop originated mm-hmm. from, you know? They changed the street name and everything like that. But we live in an era where, like, this 
the grandfathers of hip hop are still alive, which is fantastic. The yeah. crazy thing is what it's going to do in our lifetime, because this like right now is kind of like the second generation of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And like, where is it going to go? after it's been around and there's all these foundations and stuff to build upon like in the next yeah. 20 years. And now there's so many subsects of hip hop, you know, they got like trap stuff, you know, and then there's like a nice, like, cause like, look, little singing look stuff, at like how know? rock and roll went in the fifties and sixties. And then it went into like you had in the eighties, you had heavy metal, you had like hair bands, mm-hmm. you had punk, punk yeah. like you had all these different. And then like in the nineties, again, you had like grunge rock and, Alt rock, like an alternative or adult, like whatever Dave Matthews band switched right. everything. So I'm sure you know in 20 years there's going to be the Dave Matthews band version of hip hop. Yeah, and <laughs> we'll hate it. Yeah, <laughs> but like Probably. people 20 years younger than us will love it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cycle will continue. Man, I'm trying to think of what the Dave Matthews band version of hip hop is, if that already exists, or like 50 years if there's going to be the Kenny G version of hip hop. Oh man. <laughs> I hope not. It's just like elevator hip hop yeah. music, grocery store hip hop. I mean, yeah. it, it'll be here eventually. I oh, mean, think man. about where blues and jazz were. It like in the twenties and thirties, it was like this music is ruining society. Yeah, right. It's the like, devil's music. Like c- people, like different people of races are coming together, listening and dancing together. It's mm-hmm. the devil's music. <laughs> And then, do people thought that about Simon and Garfunkel? And it's that's like, like, that's this what is, I mean. This is the tamest shit it's on the planet. It's a never-ending cycle. Anything that's different, so people get scared of being different. Like I don't know <laughs> why. Like this is just grinds my gear. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, you know. And uh, it just grinds my gears all the time. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. It's different. Tight. Like, is it my cup of tea? No, but it's tight. That people equate there's something else. People equate liking something for being it being good. Just because you don't like something doesn't diminish the value mm-hmm. aesthetic and the aesthetic like with art especially like i can I can recognize when music is great, like Taylor Swift is a good musical artist, but I don't like her music. Mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it sucks, yeah, like just because I don't like a style of music doesn't mean it sucks. Mm-hmm. it's just not for me. I will say in the last year, my wife has become slightly obsessed with Taylor Swift with her like two most recent records. And just through like the osmosis of her listening to it all the time, I'm like, this is pretty good. Yeah, I no. mean, it's not, I mean, I would never seek this out on my own. But now that it's presented to me, I'm like, yeah, I can see why people. It's like my my girlfriend listens to Sam Smith, and I'm like, that guy has a great fucking voice. Yeah, yeah. my lady listens to Ariana Grande. <laughs> you know, so like this is how. We, you know. <laughs> you know? Just because it's, it's shout not, out to the ladies for taking yeah, us yeah, on to stuff. Just because yeah. it's not, we're not their target demographic doesn't diminish the value of it. Exactly. Expand your horizon. And it's just like Kenny G has a good following, you know, but it's not my cup. Like of my tea. mom liked <laughs> Kenny G, which I never could believe when I was a kid. <laughs> However, like she, she also liked real jazz and blues music. Yeah. Who also would like play Kenny G too? I mean, if I had four kids. I probably would play Kenny G or whatever to calm to things relax. down. To <laughs> like, relax the environment relax in the house. The, the, four kids running around. The elevator music. It probably looked like a, uh, like a funny movie. You know how they play like really calm music and like it's getting very hectic? That's probably what it's Yeah, she's just sitting on the couch with her wine cooler and candles playing <laughs> on a Friday night. We're like, we're just fucking wilding out. Her wine cooler. Punching <laughs> each other over Madden games and shit. Techmo Bowl. Before seltzers. <laughs> With the wine cooler. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Zima. I remember when White Claw was called Bartles and James. Yes. <laughs> it was called Zima. <laughs> Dude, the first person to like crack the code and become successful at the Kenny G of hip hop is going to make 
tons of dough. Oh, so much be, money. It's, and it's going to be like some obscure. Pr- it'll probably be some classically trained music, like an actual musician. Hopefully, it's like an actual musician. That he's just like, oh, just I'm just like, going to go into this. Yeah, some boom. like guy that goes viral on TikTok. Mm. Shots fired at Lil Nas X. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his album was horrible. I but, did. and then, it, so TV, movie. I, I, I Last weekend, I watched, we watched Judas and the Black Messiah. Really good? God damn. I think that's going like, to be my you, weekend, this one. Like, knowing how it's going to end, like, you're still going to get angry, but just, like, the story and everything, and just, like, someone mentioned, like, think about where our society would have been if people like that weren't killed in the 60s and 70s. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Because the ideas they were talking about are things that now, 40, 50 years later, we're, we're just coming back around to. Like, imagine if some of these ideas, like, he built a cult, like, he worked, shows the movie, he worked, like, with, like, these, like, white, you wouldn't think of it, like, white supremacist type groups back in the 60s. Like, he was combining them with, with, like, you know, Chicano groups in Chicago, along with the Black Panthers and, like, the different gangs, and bringing them together and, like, recognizing what their unique, I mean, their, their, you know, they had the same problems and issues and they really shouldn't have been divided and just bringing the people together and like it set like our society back like think about it he was 21 fred hampton when he died and you know when when you when i learned that you know as a teenager it's like whatever he was 21 but like now being like 38 and thinking like damn that guy did so much so much by the time he was fucking 21 Mm -hmm. like his mom and son are still like his son is like the current chairman of the Black Panther Party. Like his mom is still alive. Like people act like this is ancient history. Like he was killed a, ten years before I was born. Yeah, it's crazy. And just to have this sort of like that kind of that sort of power over like your mind and and that sort of vision and stuff at twenty one is like, man, I was. I wasn't thinking that at 21. No. That's I like was, the thing, too. To ha- like, like you said, I had just vision. started drinking pale ale at 21, man. <laughs> like, like, he would be like 70. <laughs> you know, he would still, like, he would be like 70 yeah. years old now. Like, mm-hmm. think about. That's wild. Like, when you think you say that, that was at 21. Mm-hmm. Imagine how dumb we were at 21 compared to now yeah. and, like, what he could have accomplished in the last 50 years. Like, yeah. even by the time he was 30, what he could have done. Right. You know? Because it does take a long time for change like that to, you know, and like how you were saying him bringing everyone together. I always think of like that warrior, the scene in the Warriors at the beginning where they they're bringing all the gangs together to do like we're all uh, getting, you know, we're all fighting the same fight. You might as well do it together. Right. Mm-hmm. And just after watching the movie, the one the one thing I did realize is like Herbert Hoover is like the Michael Jordan of white supremacy. Low, like just low key. Like <laughs> that guy destroy like that guy i feel like in a hundred years will be looked at as like he influenced this country so negatively by like directing the fbi Mm -hmm. to like squash out and fuck up all these different civil rights movements like we're still dealing with it obviously today and like it's one thing to look at like oh like progress has stopped like in certain ways but like to think like what society has been robbed of because like these programs and stuff weren't put in place and the things that have happened over the last 50 years, like the fucking bad guys won and corporations won. Like, and they'll still keep winning probably for like maybe another, like those problems were just beginning to emerge Mm -hmm. then. And these people saw it. They like called it out and like Mm -hmm. were moving against them and they literally fucking had them murdered. Mm -hmm. And 
now these problems are such de- so deeply rooted that it's like impossible to even fathom our lives without you know some of these institutions and policies mm-hmm. well yeah so much so that it's like become synonymous with america it's like right people think that you're like dissing america when you want to change challenge these it's like poli- this isn't american like we, this we isn't like even this that old exactly mm-hmm. like it's it, it, you know people just don't know their history and don't realize that these things that they take for granted are relatively new phenomenons that are based on you know older sins and it's just they've just evolved and grown over time and gotten more gotten more deeply entrenched Mm -hmm. into our society and just watching that movie i was like fuck like ah, don't get me started (laughs) it's just it's just sad because you know we see it obviously all the time um even like you know being a person of color out there you know and it's just like you know what if like maybe I, I wouldn't have to deal with the stuff I've dealt with if, you know, certain people weren't killed or things like that. You yeah. Know? The progress that could have happened. Well, speaking of progress, and in a positive note, our hero of the week this week is Renee Montgomery. This is so Former tight. WNBA player is part of the own is part owner and the executive uh, for the Atlanta Dream, who were she owned played. by Kelly Loeffler. Yeah. And basically like the WNBA players on that team basically got her to sell the team, and they organized. They helped uh, Warnock and Osof get elected in Georgia, and they came out against their boss and made a stand to the point where she fucking sold the team. And now this black woman, former player, is part owner and exactly. one of the lead executives with the team. Yeah, it's like a three group um, people that uh, bought it. And uh, she got inspiration from LeBron James. And she, like, I think she took last year off to deal with uh, activism and social uh, injustice and stuff like that. And then so she decided to retire and then be part of this group because she used to play for the dream as well. And now she's, you know, she's the boss. And, like, again, like you said, inspired by LeBron James Mm -hmm. and the soccer player today, I forget his name, uh, came out. And was like, LeBron should stay out of politics and stop focusing on politics. And LeBron was like, why is that guy saying that? Didn't that guy call out the racism in Sweden, his country, (laughs) just three years ago, doing the same thing I'm doing? And now he's telling me to shut up. He's like, I'm the wrong guy to come out. I know what I'm talking about. And obviously it is. Like, look at these people he's inspiring. He puts his money where his mouth is. Yeah. And especially soccer being like the world sport. And they have so much money, so much backing. They should be, you know, up, up front with everything. Too much to lose. Mm-hmm. They've got the courage. Because, yeah, they, they definitely make way too much money. They, they make so much money, it's ridiculous. Well, mm-hmm. I think because we're, we're running short on time, mm-hmm. we're going to take our second break and listen to uh, my song of the week this week. Salute to Orlando, mm-hmm. his brother Ruben. Uh, they're part of Nino Santo and uh, local hip-hop group. And they just released their debut album the other night. And this song, Free Dumb, is one of the, the songs on the album. We were listening to it this morning. Mm-hmm. So uh, listen and enjoy. Salut. First. 
first things first Stop clutching your purse If I wanted that shit, never mind what's worse This is dumb chick thinking that she's stronger than me Or the fact that she's thinking of me criminally I ain't got a need for this shit in the bag People judge me but my pants don't sag It's the color of my skin that been making them mad Can't change that, never would, never had Gotta take these things with the good and the bad Brown lot proud of the skin that I have People treat us like a thing or a fast Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes so sad People say hating but the sun love me A sun kiss girl is to me lovely If you're not melanated gotta wear sunscreen Colonizer Got the allergies to the sun where I dance and I bleed And I pray for the way of the birds and the trees on the land Who came before me like the seed to the plant I came from a dream like the seed to the sand People want to stop me but I know that they can't Creator told me I'm a part of the plan So don't hate on me cause I know who I am Life's just a dream from the place that I stand Freedom in the mind of a slave Looks like a job and a raise on the minimum wage Fuck that, fuck the needles and tracks Fuck that, yo we tired of that Fuck that, I'ma take my shit back Teaching my sons a revolutionary act 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 Teaching my son It's the herbal tea, meant to wipe that ass up verbally I'ma fill up your cup with a seed That was planted by me, now you see A reality written in dreams, it seems to me What I mean, it's a different thing From an altar state to an altar being I wish you could see what an altar brings to the people Long life with a vision from the past Dark nights with a light in my chest I might put petals out for the path of the loved ones cross Get a chance, come back to the place Where we bring all the food and the drinks Set by Suchi, local Baye and sweets They might come meet as we celebrate life Put up the villa so they follow the light Disney kind of made the day of the dead A popular trend, but do you understand? My people don't fit into any program Or a script or a cage, it's a matter of fact They want everything except for me just to have A place at the table that y'all eating at We cooked all the food, picked all the plans Worked in the sun with the skin off our hands Freedom in the mind of a slave Looks like a job and a raise on the minimum wage Fuck that, fuck the needles on tracks Fuck that, you'll be tired of that Fuck that, I'ma take my shit back Teaching my sons a revolutionary act 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 Teaching my son my long black hair bring a long blank stare on the face of a racist who don't really care about the state of the world and the place that we stay. Our kids took away while the white ones play. I'll continue to say a truth from my heart is guided by light that comes from the stars. Ain't no white Jesus that could ever save me. The truth met me when I hung from a tree in another life. And in this one too, the new Nazi flag is the red, white, and blue. They so lost in the lies that they think that they're true. How many have died for the red, white, and blue? Nothing new on the land of the free. What do you think that I'm supposed to be? I ain't new. I'm what you supposed to see in the view of American dreams. I'm before America and I'll be here after. Empires fall to the sounds of laughter. The gods in the skies and the lakes in our hearts. We're, We're not aliens, aliens, but we came from the stars. I'ma play the part of obsidian glass. Cut through the bushes so we can move past. 500 years of ignorance, pain. For 500 more years, my people remain. 500 years of ignorance, pain. For 500 more years, my people are staying. 500 years of ignorance, pain. For 500 more years, my people are staying. Freedom in the mind of a slave. Looks like a job and a raise on the minimum wage. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come? What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come? What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come? What you gonna do when they come for you? What you gonna do when they come for you? What you gonna do when I come for you? What you gonna do when they come for you? Teaching my son to revolutionary act. 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 Teaching my son to revolutionary act.
Welcome back, guys. That was Sean's song of the week, and it was Freedom by Nino Santo. Uh, again, uh, Slits so Orlando. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm in a band with him. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, I met him first as an artist, as a visual artist for my Holland fundraiser. He uh, participated, made some artwork for that, and then... Uh, we just got to know each other. He was part of one of Reno's. Uh, he went to compete for Reno in Denver in the National uh, Poetry Contest. Super talented artist, super talented guy, and definitely uh, is aware of his place in society and bringing out, uh, you know, his perspective and sharing it as as a indigenous man, as he says, mm -hmm. people of the planet and the earth. Yeah, he's very big on the indigenous uh, people, which is awesome because they get overlooked a lot. So. And, uh, you know, so I learn a lot from like, mm -hmm. you know, he's a smart individual. It's like uh, when we do get together, it's just we lose track of time because then we just start talking and going into like deep rooted conversations. Yeah. Salute to Orlando, your brother Ruben on mm -hmm. the production. Uh, like all the stuff they're doing, the music videos, mm -hmm. visually, like obviously, you know, being a visual artist, they have, you know, have that, you know, and, and Sluice Niles, he's on production on some yes. of the songs as well. Mm -hmm. So friends of ours, you know, there's so lots of the good homies. music being made in Reno mm -hmm. of all different genres. Yes. So now we've, uh, you know, come to the meandering questions. So these are questions, they used to be rapid fire, but as we learned, they weren't so rapid. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, and we've designed these sp specifically for you with a couple that we ask everyone. So mm -hmm. do your best, answer right. them freely, and uh, share your expertise with our listeners. So the first question is, do you have a favorite style of beer? And if so, what is it? Yeah, my favorite style of beer. It's weird because we were talking about pale ale earlier and how I think that's like the best beer. But my favorite style of beer, it's probably going to be... German lagers and particularly Hellas lagers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are those more flowery? No, the, yeah. it's, I mean, it's like, it's about as like beer flavored beer as you can get. It's like the, it's one of the hardest types of beer to make because it like, you can't, you can't hide any okay. mistakes or anything in it. Um, so it's just straight up yeah. like crisp, clean. Yeah. So I, my favorite beer of all time is Sierra Nevada Summerfest. Okay. So just I love I like a crisp lager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. me too. It's that did, it used to be like even as recently as like 4 or 5 years ago I was still really into like big hot bombs and there's a place for those like mm, right. I like those but more often than not it's like man especially just, on a hot summer day. Yeah. Yes. Cuz yeah, I just I love me a saison. Dude, saison is one of those weird things where it's like I don't I don't usually like it mm -hmm. but there's every once in a while like I'll have an itch for a saison, yeah. and if that's the kind of beer you want, it's like, man, nothing else will do because nothing else is even close to that. And it's just weird because now they make it all year round, you know? Yeah. Instead of because saison is season. I was gonna say, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like in a way we're kind of spoiled now because back in the day, you only got these certain types of beer at certain times of year, mm -hmm. and it wasn't you like every bar now has craft beers, and that there was a time where it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was more, it was harder to get, and it was more special, I feel like, or like you went to certain places for them. Now they're everywhere, so I think, I feel like we're spoiled now. Because even the grocery we have store. such a great yeah. selection. Yeah, even when I go, like, I mean, I go to craft usually to get my beer, but. But the average person, when they go to Albertsons. Even like, Smith's yeah, Save Mart or something, there's, 
the selection of craft beer is not i mean before it was like sierra nevada and and fucking heineken or something yeah i mean it's like what we were talking about earlier with with spotify or netflix or anything it's like it's that buffet of riches sort of thing and it's and i i don't like i don't pine for the days of old because you know i I make my living doing this stuff and i think it's ultimately it's a positive thing because people are getting educated and finding out about things that they wouldn't have otherwise known about and you know it's it's broadening their horizons but there is something to be said for like the days when things were not as available and you did sort of have to brush up against some kind of curation to find stuff whereas now it's just like everything's out here choose your own adventure sort of Mm. thing yeah all right next question what's something bar patrons don't realize but need to know I don't even know if it's so much that it's they don't realize it or that more that just people don't want to think about it. But this this kind of goes just to a general uh, just a, a general sense of respect for people in the service industry. I think it's it's real easy to it's it's real easy to like become negative or you know like the the sort of the sort of Yelp effect where it's like they're there to serve you. It's, it's real easy to become negative and write like negative reviews or have a negative view of something and really hard to, to be positive about it and not realize that like these are human, these are human beings like everybody else, man. And and they're not below you. Mm -hmm. They're not your fucking servant. And we're going through the same pandemic shit you are. And like, we're just as stressed out, maybe more so because like our, our job is, is like, our job is is enforcing things that you don't like, and it's also kind of on the line sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know, I also understand that it's like it is the service industry and you do sort of have to like, for lack of better term, swallow your pride or whatever and, and put up with some shit. But, man, it's a two-way street, so it, it would, you know. Oh, we, just realize I, that, our, it, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. This is, <laughs> But I'm glad you're saying it because when we for first the, started... For the Karens that listen to the podcast. Yes. When we first started, one of our major things was like getting that perspective of the service industry and just like respecting these people who you take for granted, but also you rely on for so much of your... Yeah, I mean, look at, look at what stayed open during the pandemic, like the essential quote-unquote shit. It's like people at grocery stores. Had restaurants and bars not been closed, like that would have... You know, I felt that shit was just as essential. It's not like, it's not, you know, people that manage banks. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. Next question. Uh, What were your musical influences growing up? Man, that's, that's a whole podcast into and of itself. (laughs) Um, The, the chief ones, like the first Pete, the first pieces of music I owned, the first tapes I owned. Um, I got two for my birthday. Um, how old are you when you're in kindergarten? Is that six? Like five, five, five six. six. Mm-hmm. So for that birthday, I got uh, Michael Jackson's "Bad" and uh, Weird Al's <laughs> "Even." Or it wasn't even worse. It was what's the one before that? In three D, in three D on cassette. Um, I remember from my eighth birthday asking for. Or no, I bought it with my own money, with my birthday money. I bought REM's Green on mm. cassette. 
Um, I feel like Weird Al is for people our age. Low key, people forget the influence they had. I I I remember. I I can still remember like the the white stuff or Trigger Happy in some of his songs. It's crazy how many people our age are like so influenced by Weird Al, and it's like you talk to. we were talking about this in Elephant Rifle about like what our chief influences as a band are, and it's like Weird Al is surprisingly <laughs> high on that list. And you think like this hardcore band? What do you guys? It's like no, we're into Weird Al. <laughs> um, Nirvana was that. That was the band that made me want to be a musician. Nice. Mm. Like that was you know ultimately I, when I first before I even got a guitar I wanted to play drums. It's because I loved the drumming in Nirvana so much. But you know I lived in an apartment. It's like, I can't, my mom's like, no way are you going to have a drum (laughs) set. Um, Yeah. And then discovering punk rock um, really changed my perception just because like, I mean, Nirvana kind of started with that. Whereas, you know, before listening to alternative stuff, I was into like, I was into like Metallica and Rush and stuff like that, which, uh, which I still love. But that is like, that is some that's some like expert musicianship type shit that I knew that like I can work the rest of my life. I know I'm not, I know right. enough You're about gonna, myself yeah. to know that yeah. I'm never going to be that are, kind of a player. Exactly. So then discovering something like Nirvana and then punk rock was like, Oh, here's some shit that I can do to express myself. And not that it doesn't require a lot of effort, but the, the barrier for entry is so much lower, lower yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that me as a as a 13 year old you know like Are i can i can st- yeah. i can stream some stuff together i can i can put together some chords and do a rudimentary version of this mm-hmm. and that you know that was all i knew that's how that's how i felt like compared like listening to nwa i know i could never do that but like listening to someone like talib kwali I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He's talking. I can talk about these things. Yeah. Like, that, yeah, that's how it was for me. Another band that I, I just thought about this right now. I mean, I've thought about this a bunch in the past, but it just came up to me right now. Something I like to talk about with people our age. Um, another, a big one was the Beastie Boys, and I and I feel like there's there's like a three prong attack for the Beastie Boys that it's like. Like dudes our age kind of discovered it, you know, in like sixth grade or whatever, like the early nineties. And there were three subculture avenues that they could have got you on. And to me, it was like, I liked, I liked the rap element of it, but I really liked the punk rock element Mm -hmm. of it. And that sort of put me on that path. And then I've got a ton of friends that like, that was their gateway drug into hip hop. And then I, I was thinking about it. There's like a third prong, especially like kind of where we live being so close to Tahoe is I had a ton of friends that got into like jam band shit from the Beastie Boys too, <laughs> from like their instrumental records yeah, yeah. and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like that. That's, turned, I hadn't thought of that. That's yeah, crazy. but it's crazy. It's like that band is uniquely responsible for setting like people who grew up in the early 90s onto these like different subculture paths. Well, and there's also, I would say, people like me who got into punk rock through the Beastie Boys. Through the Beastie Boys, yeah. I mean, that was how I got into hip-hop. I, I mean, like, as a kid, there was some, you know, I had, like, Swass by Sir Mix-a-Lot on cassette, and I had, 
Um, I didn't have NWA, but I did have Easy Does It on cassette. And, it was like, and now I think back to it, I was like 10 years old when I had that. It's like a 10-year-old should not be listening to that yeah. record. There is some <laughs> filthy, filthy stuff on that record. Easy, especially Easy Does But like, you don't, when you're a kid, though, you don't understand. Like, that's mm-hmm. the No, beauty. it's just funny. Prior to the internet, you didn't understand that shit. Yeah. And it was fine. You just used your mic. Like, it was never what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> but it wasn't until the Beastie Boys that I really like started to appreciate hip-hop. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As hip hop lovers ourselves. <sighs> Salute to Beastie Boys. Next they, they question. Were the, the gray area. Uh, oh, uh, I asked that question. Yeah. Right so the next one. Best thing about being a dad. That's a tough one. Um, I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday. That every day my kids make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's like... I can't think of anything else that makes me laugh every day. Even the Simpsons batting average isn't that high. <laughs> they ain't batting a thousand. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the, the sort of like just pure joy mm-hmm. that children have. It's, it's unremarkable, man. It's like, it's something I wish that life didn't be, we we're kind of talking about it with art, but it's I feel this way about sort of joy and wonder too that it sucks that like it seems almost inevitable that life is gonna grind that out of you. Yes. Cause I see it in my kids now, it's like, fuck man, I wish everyone was like that. Yeah. Right? Just like careless, just having so f- like careless living freely. Fun. Yeah. Living yeah. freely. To be like really free. I mean there's mm-hmm. the the flip side of that is like, you know, my daughter woke up at three thirty this morning and was like, It's time to play. <laughs> so I mean there's you know, it's a no good deed goes unpunished sort of thing. I, I, don't, I don't know how to... <laughs> so how did you, that's, to, that's to say that like I've been up since 3 a.m. So my uh, brain isn't like... Yeah. Your brain's in the afternoon. It's not, it's not working mm-hmm. where it should dad be. Dad brain. Yeah, total yeah. dad brain. Watching like one of my best friends who has two mm-hmm. kids now. And I'm just like... like The other day I tell, like he said something and I'm like, dude, you've only been a dad for four years. But your dad jokes game is on point because... <laughs> Some of the shit you're saying is not very funny, <laughs> but like I understand why it's funny to you. Sam said um, such a good dad joke yesterday in the car. He, he was like, and it's totally a, a joke that I would have said. He's like, I didn't used to like beards, but one grew on me. <laughs> like, That's pretty clever you, for an eight year old. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> did you come up with that or did you hear that on like a TV show or something? Like, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, kids pick up stuff so fast. Like, <laughs> How their their personalities growing and always changing, yeah. and, and their mannerisms, and just to like see a person grow from like you know sleeping all day to like having their own personality, right? It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. What's something people at shows don't realize but need to know when you are at a musical event? Hmm. I mean, it, it's it depends on. So I don't. I, I don't know that there's like any sort of one hard and fast rule. It kind of depends on the shows. Because one thing I would say would be like, cool it with a heckling. You're not a part of the show. But I mean, if you come to an elephant rifle show, like that's kind of part of the show. Like heckle away sort of stuff. So I don't know. I miss your guys' show. (laughs) So good. I I miss shows so much. (laughs) But I don't know. I guess... Man, that's a tough one. I I can't. I don't have a good answer for that. 
mostly no, okay. ju- mostly just like being mindful of and respectful of the performance that's happening. Like I said, there there's a time and a place for like heckling and talking and shit like that. But I think especially in like bar settings, it's kind of hard because that's, you know, what you, what people that go to shows at bars tend to expect. But it can get a little overboard where it's like, guys, there's, you know, there's. It's it's maybe not capital A art going on right now, but there's there's art being created, mm-hmm. so it demands yeah. a little a little bit of respect. And if if you're heckling, you if you could do it better, then go do it. If not, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, one time though, I, we were doing a show at Holland, and my bassist, the bassist in our band, is like in his fifties, and he has like a daughter who was at the time a teenager, and this like drunk guy was like making comments, and I was like, I like in between songs was like. Don't think you can't get fucked up at the show by the people on the stage. <laughs> like, be respectful. What kind of was he like making like comments about like the just the, like uh, didn't realize her age? I think okay, and was just being disrespectful, like, disrespectful to her. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, and this guy was like way like way even under respectful normal circumstances too old for her. Yeah. So I was just like, bro, like. Watch your fucking mouth. Like, yeah. there's a bunch of grown men on the stage with lots of weapons at our disposal. Like, yeah. things that I can fucking hit you in the face with. A lot with. of big-ass dudes here. <laughs> like, calm down. Yeah. Don't uh, think just because we're up on the stage, someone will step off right. the stage yes. and, and fuck you up. Yeah, drunk people in general. But, I mean, that's especially in the sort of in the sort of venues and stuff that we play, that's just, like, comes with the territory. The liquid, yeah. liquid courage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we play at Shays all the time. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's certain give and take. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, last one. What uh, What do you do for self-care, beauty routine, any products other than just a bar of soap? Because um, we're on this tip. We need. We want guys to start expanding yeah. their I'm actually, horizons and treating themselves. I'm really into this new bar of soap that I got that is like, it's like a some kind of like herb and cardamom scented thing. Um, my wife really likes it. That's um, the important part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, <laughs> this is going to sound, this is going to sound silly, but, um, I've recently discovered that I like the scent of patchouli, Ooh, which okay. is some, which is some shit that like, even a couple years ago, I've been like, what are you talking about? That's absurd. <laughs> it smells like dirt, but now I'm kind of into it and I, I don't know. Um, do you use anything for the beard or your hair? No, no, I don't. All natural. Yeah, I actually don't even like using a lot of shampoos and stuff. I really like if if I get a bunch of shit in my hair or if I like work out really hard or something. But that would be it. I don't know. I to me, I'm kind of like, man, what a cruel joke it would be for nature to play on humans to be like. You can exist for all these years, and it's not until 50 years ago that someone's going to come up with some shit that you need for your body. Like, what about all the people that existed before shampoo, man? They went to the river. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's the... Uh, it's, it's tough to, like... It's tough to talk about this and not sound like a, some sort of dude that's like, man, I don't wash, man, <laughs> deal with it. Kind of, that's, that's not what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... I, I try to not get carried away with that kind of stuff because, yeah, I guess nature will provide. I don't know, man. I'm, 
I'm still working on this argument. Yeah. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. No, it's fine. Yeah. Everyone's you know has their lanes. Just yeah. You you've got the soap thing. That's your mm-hmm. that's your your entry point. Yeah. yeah. The, the it's, truly thing. it's mostly just everyone's on a different stage it's, of this journey. It's mostly just sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, in my in my experience. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have? What, so what I, about you guys? I do like a bot, like a cocoa butter body wash. Yeah. My, uh, I got this beard balm that uh, has like a moisturizer. Especially now at this stage right now, my beard is just all over the place. Yeah. So it's good to have something to kind of like hold it down a little. Maybe bit. that's what I need because mine's all over the place too, and, and especially rocking the mask all the time. Yes. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So it's a disaster. Just get something with a, a good moisturizer because it's on your face. So obviously you don't want like a heavy oil or something mm. if you then you just break out. But like, um, like something that moisturizes and it's just it helps it keep it because it's when I woke up this morning I was just like all over the place and I was like oh man I gotta like just a little bit you know, you know? Mm. but that a uh, lot of a uh, lotion up you know cocoa yeah. butter you know I work in an office so or at home <laughs> I don't no more working with my hands so you gotta feel good you know one of the things I just thought about right now is I've run a lot. And after after I run, I always fuck around with some Dr. Bronner's because mm-hmm. I like the heavy duty stuff that tingles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make yeah. It knows that you're it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's it for the meandering questions. You made it. Cool. You, you did it. Congratulations. Hooray. Thanks for having me, <laughs> you guys. Won. This was fun. Yeah. Um, before we go, we have a couple more things. This week in racism, I saw this. This was so terrible. This 18 year old kid, high school student, is walking home in the snow in Texas and was arrested because someone called the cops on him saying that they were worried because someone was walking in the, in the middle of the street and he was, the cops started following him and he's like, Hey, I'm trying like, all he had on was like his work, like a t-shirt cause he had taken his work shirt off and he was like trying to just like walking, not even that far, like a couple blocks. He's like, I'm in the middle of the street because there's so much ice and snow on the sidewalk. He's like, I'm just trying to get home. And they, like, followed him and ended up, like, handcuffing him and placing him under arrest and then dropped the charges after an outcry came out and they found out how old he was. But Dang. literally just fucking walking home in a snowstorm, got the cops. It's like someone called the cops on him and got mm-hmm. was harassed. Because it, nice, it was in a nice neighborhood, like, and... We Probably can't have no fucking, people of color there. Some fucking white Karen got mad and called on, like, called the police on him, so... Mm. And then our fuckboy of the week. Okay. So this is, again, salutes to Mike because he <laughs> follows this type of stuff because he <laughs> loves watching stupid fucking Republican shit. Yes. Uh, Adam Laxalt is our fuckboy of the week because he was a, a speaker at CPAC, which is this huge yeah. conservative super PAC convention they're having. And he was like one of their speakers on the break. You know, you go watch. And it was virtual. And it shows how many viewers he had. And during his thing, he only had nine people watching, and like one of the people left, and one of the people was Mike, who was not watching it seriously. <laughs> oh man, poor guy! Yeah. And that guy is—I feel yeah. like he didn't take losing the governor race very well. He just like no. doubled down on the Trump oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, like he was because he one... didn't used to be like yeah four exactly. or five years ago. He wasn't like that. No. He was just like your sort of garden variety. His daughter was on. Sam's soccer team when they were like four so I like kind of I mean I, I wouldn't say like I know the guy but like I've been around him and stuff he just seemed like hey, a normal should, guy he's mm-hmm. kind of just your garden variety like rich conservative dude 
And now he's, and like, now out he's there like, saying the I mean, that had voter fraud and well, suing it, the state. Yeah, that, that sort of Trump vacuum is just, like, pulling every, – like, everyone's seeing an opportunity mm-hmm. to be, like, out Trump, Trump kind of shit. And it's like – Sad. Yeah, yeah man. Well, Opportunist. That's how you get to be our fuckboy of the week. So, yeah. salutes to you, Adam Laxalt. <laughs> Uh-huh. Where? Well, that's it. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you very thank much. Thank you uh, for mm-hmm. joining us. And real quick before we go, tell the people uh, the location of your businesses and Where they uh, the services you, you mm-hmm. provide and uh, how they can yeah. frequent uh, your establishment. Pinion Bottle, two locations, uh, one on Cheney Street in Midtown right next to Noble Pie, the other um, in Victorian Square in Sparks right next to the movie theater. Um, open every day at noon. Like beer, come on down, check us out. Um, band I play in is Elephant Rifle, where all the places that you can find bands. <laughs> That's about it. Nice. Again, Clint Nuremberg. Oh, yeah. Thank you. For <laughs> <us>. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate you yeah. uh, sharing your space and your opinion with mm-hmm. us. And, uh, Thanks, guys. Yeah. Everyone out there, make sure uh, you listen and. Uh, Stay safe. Yeah, Della Photo. Uh, yeah, stay hydrated and respect each other. Peace. Absolutely.